Section four of What the Mother of a Deaf Child Ought to Know by John Dutton Wright. Containing Chapter eleven Forming Character. Chapter twelve Cultivating the Social Instinct. Chapter thirteen Something about Schools and Methods. Chapter fourteen The Preservation of Speech. Chapter fifteen Teaching Lip Reading. And Chapter sixteen School Age. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 11. Forming Character And now that the little one is two or three years old, it may be well to say a few words about his general training in character and habits. There is a strong and a not unnatural tendency to maintain an attitude toward the deaf child that differs from that maintained by sensible mothers toward their other children. They often set up a different standard of conduct and of obligation for the afflicted child. His brothers and sisters are taught to always defer to his wishes, even to the extent of yielding to improper and selfish demands on his part, and conceding that they have no rights where he is concerned. He is not required to perform the little duties demanded of the other children. He is given privileges, which the others do not, and which no one of them, including himself, should enjoy. He grows tyrannical, domineering, and selfish. The mother says, Poor little chap, he has trouble enough. We must do all in our power to make up to him for what he misses by reason of his deafness. This is, however, a short-sighted and really cruel policy. It lays up much misery for his future, and in the end proves a serious handicap to one who needs to have as few additional difficulties as possible. Though it may seem hard-hearted, it is really kinder to put him on the same basis as any other child, make him do everything possible for himself, insist upon his being independent, dressing himself as soon as he is able, buttoning his own shoes, and performing all the little self-help acts that the wise mother demands of all her children. Make no distinction in the treatment accorded him. Ask the same services, reward right actions, and punish wrongdoing as impartially as if he was not deaf only being sure that he clearly connects the punishment with the wrong act. This, in the case of a deaf child, requires a little more care than with a hearing child. Train him to be thoughtful for the comfort of others, and respectful of their rights, just as you insist that the others observe his rights. He cannot be argued with. Object lessons and example must be the means of teaching him manners and morals. CHAPTER Twelve: CULTIVATING THE SOCIAL INSTINCT between the ages of two and four years all the games and exercises heretofore described can continue to be used together with others increasingly difficult and complicated as the child's mind develops and his powers of observation attention and memory increase take very special care that he learns all the childhood games that other children know and enjoy devote yourself more to him in this respect than you would in the case of another child encourage the neighbor's children to come and play with him by making it especially pleasant for them teach them yourself to play hide the thimble hide and seek drop the handkerchief going to jerusalem old maid bean bag follow the leader is an excellent game by which to teach watchfulness and imitation cat and mouse hot potato ring on a string are all games that can be played by groups and cultivate quickness Ping-pong football is excellent as a lung developer. That is the choosing of sides and trying to blow a ping-pong ball between the goal-posts formed by a pair of salt-shakers at opposite ends of a table, or blowing a feather across a sheet by opposing sides. Encourage good, romping, noisy games in which the children naturally laugh and shout. 
They are the best of voice-developing exercises, and by such means, and his long-distance shouting and calling to his playmates, the little hearing child gains much of his lung and voice power. In all his games, as in all his other activities, take very special pains to talk to him, using the regulation expressions and training him to watch for the It's your turn, or Now, Tom, Ready, Whose turn is it, and so on. If the foregoing suggestions have been carefully carried out since he was twelve months old, he will long ago have arrived unconsciously at the knowledge that all things, and all actions, and all feelings, have names, and that the mouth always makes the same sequence of movements for the same thing. In the babbling exercises recommended, he will gradually come to utter many of the vowel and consonant sounds of his native language, especially those that are made by the lips and by evident positions of the tongue. Those sounds that require hidden positions of the organs, such as the sound of C and K in cut and arc, or G in go and dog, or NG in long, he is unlikely to have stumbled upon. These can be taught when the proper time comes, but their absence for the present need cause no anxiety. In fact, up to the time when he is three and a half or four years old, the matter of speaking is not one to be much troubled about. If the conception of language has been given him through lip-reading and some ability to understand the necessary language of his daily life, his future success is assured. Chapter 13. Something about schools and methods. Till the child is at least four years old, the proper place for him is at home, and if he must be sent to one of the large public schools for the deaf, it should not be till he is five or even six years of age. But during these years, the mother can gain much knowledge that will help her by visiting as many schools for the deaf as possible. There are about a hundred and fifty such schools in the United States, and eight in Canada. They vary in size, in character, and in methods of instruction employed. There are public boarding schools and public day schools, free to the resident of the state or city in which they are located. There are private boarding and day schools, maintained by charity or by the tuition fees. Some of each class are oral schools, that is, they employ only speech methods of instruction, without any signs or finger-spelling. Others are called combined schools, that is, they permit and in some exercises encourage the use of finger-spelling and gestural signs, while they also give some instruction by the speech method. There are sectarian and non-sectarian schools, both oral and combined. A very considerable number of schools for the deaf in the United States and Canada still use manual or silent methods of instruction, at least in part. But the speech or oral method is steadily growing in popularity and gradually supplanting manual spelling and gestural signs. The time will certainly come when the public will be too intelligent to any longer tolerate the use between teacher and pupil or between any employee and the pupils in a school for the deaf and a system of manual communication. Every deaf child, no matter if born totally deaf and of a low order of intelligence, can be given as much education by the exclusive use of the speech method as it can by any manual or silent method or by a combination of the speech and the silent method. This is not the mere expression of an opinion, but the statement of a fact, a fact firmly established by actual results in state institutions where, unfortunately, the law requires the admission of pupils too poorly equipped intellectually to belong in a school with normally bright children. In addition to acquiring all the education of which his mental endowment makes him capable, he can be taught to speak and to understand when spoken to. 
the degree of perfection attainable depends upon the ability of the child the skill of the teaching and especially upon the environment in which the child passes its formative educational years the probability of the child's acquiring a maximum proficiency in speaking and in understanding others when they speak is lessened in direct proportion to the extent to which he is permitted to use the silent or manual means of communication in the so-called combined schools the environment is largely manual a visit to the playgrounds the baseball fields the shops dining rooms and dormitories of combined schools will disclose the pupils using silent means of communication not only between themselves but with those in charge of them they do not think in spoken forms but in fingerspelling and signs the powerful influence of environment in those schools is against the acquisition of the speech and lip-reading habit the mother who has faithfully followed the suggestions offered in the foregoing pages will be able to appreciate what she sees on visiting the schools and will gain much more from such visits than one who is entirely inexperienced in the problem every mother should make it her business to visit at least one purely oral school in order that she may make herself thoroughly intelligent on what may be expected of a deaf child unfortunately pure oral schools are not as plentiful as combined schools but it will well repay any parent to make a journey even across the continent if necessary in order to study the workings of some good purely oral school do not be satisfied with a visit to the nearest combined school you owe it to your child to make yourself thoroughly intelligent as to the possibilities open to a deaf child you will not be intelligent till you have personally visited some good purely oral school the number character location and so on of the schools are constantly changing a descriptive list of all schools corrected to date will be gladly supplied by the author to anyone requesting it chapter fourteen the preservation of speech when deafness results from accident or illness after infancy up to this point it has been assumed that deafness occurred before the age of two years and before the child had begun to speak in cases where through accident or illness impairment of hearing has come after the child has begun to talk the mother should bend all her efforts upon keeping the speech of her child the younger the child the more difficult is the task without the greatest vigilance and increasing attention the speech of a little child who has become deaf will fade rapidly away until it is lost entirely and must be artificially recreated when he is old enough to grasp the complicated ideas involved in speech teaching to the deaf but by persistently encouraging him to talk and never even for a day allowing him to lapse into silence and by not accepting careless and faulty utterance but pretending not to understand till the child speaks distinctly and correctly the natural speech which was his before deafness occurred can be preserved and the speech habit thoroughly fixed if by good luck the little one has learnt to read even a simple primer before becoming deaf it will be much easier to prevent a loss of speech for this reading can be made an excuse for frequently using his speech but when the child cannot read the mother must depend entirely upon inducing him to talk to her refusing to give him anything or grant his request till he asks for it in good spoken form showing him pictures playing games frolicking with him doing everything that a mother's love and ingenuity can suggest to keep him talking all day long the tendency of the child will be to drop or slur the final syllables of the words to leave off the sound of final ed to lose the sharpness of the s to blur the l and sometimes to lose the sound of k and c but if he has learned to read 
by pointing to these letters in the words he has spoken imperfectly he will correct his own mistake prompt and increasing attention to little fellow's speech during the first year after deafness occurs will usually serve to fix correct habits for life chapter fifteen teaching lip reading all that has been said about training the little deaf child to read the lip movements and associate them with the names of things and actions will apply also to the little boy who has suddenly been made deaf after speech has been learned be careful that he is looking at you always when you speak to him or reply to some question he has asked but speak just as you would have done before he became deaf you may have to repeat things to him very often at first but do not permit any sign of impatience in your face do not let him get the idea that it is a hardship to talk to him remember that you are changing his manner of understanding speech over to another way and that his present and future happiness depends very greatly on the thoroughness and promptness with which it is done in all dealings with a deaf child the mother should remember that the child draws his impressions of the character and the feelings of those about him from the expression of their faces and many almost unconscious little acts and gestures avoid very carefully any appearance of being impatient or bored or contemptuous at his failures try to understand the difficulties under which he is working to maintain his place in the world do not humour his whims or spoil him by indulgence yet treat him with the greatest consideration and fairness above all be cheerful and at least apparently interested in his doings and sayings chapter sixteen school age the question of what is school age for a deaf child is answered very differently by different people most of the state institutions for the deaf in the united states canada and europe will not admit children younger than six years of age seven years is still the age of admission in some institutions but the tendency is to lower the age limit in some schools children of five are admitted in a few those as young as four and in two or three small schools babies of two and three are received any statement here must therefore be taken as only the expression of the author's opinion resulting from more than twenty-five years of active teaching combined with wide observation it would appear that where home conditions are not bad either physically or morally the proper place for the little deaf child till he is nearly or quite five is with his mother very much can be done for the little one before his five to prepare him for the instruction which should be given at that age but it is possible for the mother to do what is necessary and even the simplest home conditions are preferable for very little children to the institutional environment it is impossible in a school of from one hundred to five hundred pupils to create a real home environment such as the very little child should have it is really a pity that the child of five should have to be placed in the institutional environment as it at present exists if the legislative bodies of our states and the gentlemen who manage the schools could only be induced to adopt the cottage plan of housing in small units the disadvantages of institutional life would be enormously reduced End of section four.